going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you brought uh, a Bible with you, if you have God's Word on your phone, however you have a copy of it, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I just want to second what Pastor said. Uh, Nate and Kayla have been, well, Kayla's a blessing, Nate's okay. Um, but no, I'm just kidding. No, they're both great. I love I love both of them, and uh, they're, they're awesome people to spend time with. If you haven't got to spend a lot of time with them, I would encourage you before you leave, just uh, have a conversation with them, spend some time with them, and uh, they're, they're a great couple. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 uh, tonight. When I was in middle school, I was invited to go to a Christmas party, and Christmas parties are always kind of fun when you're in middle school. Uh, but the problem was there was a bunch of old people at the Christmas party, so it wasn't as much fun as I was expecting it to be. It was my sister's Christmas party for her work, and so I went there, and they had this thing. I don't know if you've done this before, but they had a, a white elephant gift exchange. How many of you guys have done that before? Okay, a couple of you. Yeah, where you get, like, the worst gifts in the world from those things, right? Like, they're awful. And so I'm sitting there, and at the White Elephant Gift Exchange, I, I, I had decided what gift I wanted before the White Elephant Gift Exchange had even started. There was this present. It was wrapped, like, beautifully. It had this, uh, had this bow on top. It, it was wrapped really nice in a really nice box. It looked, it looked like the perfect gift. And so before I had even started the game, I had, to start, I had decided, hey, I am going to get that gift. So we started the game, and people are going through, you know, you know how it works, like number by number, and so a person goes up, they get the gift, they unwrap it, we see what they got, that kind of thing. And so it gets to my turn, and I'm all pumped because the gift that I was eyeing was still there. I was like about halfway through the lift. Nobody had picked it yet. And so I was like, man, I'm going to get this gift. It was like the perfect size for a toy. Some of you guys that are younger, you know what I'm talking about. Like it wasn't like super small, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like squishy either, like it was socks or underwear or anything like that. No, it was like, it was the perfect size for a toy. And so it was still there. It comes to my turn. I walk over and I pick up the gift and I'm all proud, right? I walk back to my seat. I sit down and I, and I open the present. And when I open the present, it was not what I was expecting. I opened the present and there was this red mesh bag and I lifted it up out of the bag or out of the box and there was coal in the bag. And so I literally got coal for Christmas. It was the worst thing ever. Luckily it was chocolate coal, like it was kind of like a gag gift, but so I got chocolate coal for Christmas. But the thing is, is I thought that that was going to be the best gift. I thought because of the way it looked that it was going to be the perfect gift under that tree. And sometimes as Christians, we can get to this place where we feel like God chooses people the same way that I chose that gift. A lot of times we can think that God only chooses the, 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 the athletic people. Or God only chooses the most attractive. God only chooses the talented. God only chooses these people to serve Him. But tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to learn that, that God chooses some interesting people to deliver His gift. Before we get into 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to tell you a little bit of what's going on in 1 Corinthians up until this point. So, so we know about the church at Corinth, right? Paul wrote several letters to the church at Corinth, not just two. And 1 Corinthians was a lot of Paul correcting the church at Corinth, right? We, we know that there was a lot of problems at the church of Corinth. There was a lot of division amongst the church. There were, that people weren't getting along. Some people were saying, hey, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or, or I'm of Christ. They were, there was divisions in the church. And then there was also a lot of sexual sin going on in the church. People sleeping around with other people who weren't their spouses. And there was just a lot of problems at the church at Corinth. And so the first letter that Paul writes is really Paul rebuking the church at Corinth, saying, hey, you need to fix these things 
in the church. And then we get to the book of 2 Corinthians, which is not the second letter that Paul wrote. There, there seems to be at least one other one that Paul wrote between 1 and 2 Corinthians, but this is the one that God chose to, to preserve in Scripture. So we have the book of 2 Corinthians, which is not as much Paul rebuking the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians is more about Paul explaining to the church at Corinth what it's like to live a life that is focused on the gospel. That's what 2 Corinthians was all about. And so, so far in 2 Corinthians, what we know is Paul has talked a lot about the Old Covenant. Paul has talked a lot about the Old Testament and about how the Old Testament relates to us today. And he's talked about how people used to relate to God according to his law. And the law was God's glory. That's how we experienced God in the Old Testament. We experienced him through the law. And it was so glorious that when Moses came down from the mountain, his face was shining with the glory of God, right? Remember that story in Exodus. But then he says, now we don't experience God's glory through the law. We experience God's glory through His Son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus is how we experience God now. That, that is how we relate to God. And that's where we pick up in verse number 7 of chapter number 4. So look with me there, verse number 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the, excellence, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord Jesus. That in the life also or that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look through these couple verses and we're going to learn what it's like to be God's gift box. Now that's an interesting title, but that's what we're going to learn, how to be, or what it looks like to be God's gift box. And we're going to look at three different truths. The first truth that we see from this passage is found in verse number 7. And here's the truth. God chooses unattractive packaging. Look at what he says in verse number 7. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, if we're, if we're trying to study this passage, it says we have this treasure. So in order to figure out what this treasure is, we need to look a little bit before. And so if we look at verse number 6, let's read it. It says, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so this treasure is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shown or in the face of Jesus Christ. So that is what the treasure is. The treasure is the glory of God that we see through the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, this glory, this treasure is the gospel. That's this treasure that we have inside of us. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, it's core to, to everything. The gospel is ported to everything that we do. It's the lens through which we look at God. It's the lens through which we, we relate to God. Because if we try to relate to God in any other way other than the gospel, it doesn't work. Our, our works can't earn favor with God. We cannot do anything to earn us favor with God. Our relationships, who, who we know, don't earn us favor with God. Who our parents were, they, it doesn't earn us favor with God. The only way that we have to relate to God is through the gospel. 
and we have this treasure. That's an interesting word that, that Paul decides to use to describe the gospel. Paul reminds us that the gospel is a treasure. It's not just something that we believe in to start our journey as a Christian, uh, but, it, but the gospel is everything. The gospel not only brings us into a relationship with Christ, but it continues to help us grow in a relationship with Christ. That's what it does. And it should consume every day of our life. It's that important. And like a treasure, it should be something that is dear and cherished to us. Paul describes the gospel as a treasure. He also says this in Ephesians 3.8. He says, unto, unto me, who am, less than all, who am less than least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. See, if you have Jesus, you really don't need anything else. Because he says that the riches of Christ, they're unsearchable. You can't even, you can't even experience them. That's how amazing the gospel is. And so we have the treasure, right? But then he says something else that, that we don't really understand today. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So we know that the treasure is, a is the gospel, but what is an earthen vessel? Uh, we, don't, we don't really understand that term today. And, and, and to understand it, we kind of have to look back at history. And so back during this time, people couldn't just go to Walmart and buy like the plastic ware that you put your food in, right? Which, by the way, um, I don't know if anybody else has this problem, but for some reason, every time I go to try to find like one of those plastic wares, we have like 6,000 things of Tupperware, and then we have 6,000 lids, and none of the lids fit on the Tupperware. Does anybody else have that problem? But, but they didn't have that problem back then because they didn't have Tupperware. They didn't have plasticware. And so what they had to do during this time, they would have to make containers themselves. And often what they would do, the, the least expensive way to make containers was by making them from clay dirt and water. And so what they would do is they would form this this clay and this dirt and this water into a pot, into a, an earthen vessel. And then when it would harden, they would, be, they would be able to store whatever they wanted in them. But the thing is, is these vessels, they, they were very inexpensive to make, which meant that, that they were basically valueless. They had very little intrinsic value. Nobody was going around trying to find earthen vessels. People would just make them on their own, and if you did buy them from someone, they were very, very inexpensive because they were made out of dirt and clay. But not only were they inexpensive, they were very fragile. And so it wasn't like plastic where today where you can drop it and nothing happens to it. If you dropped these, they would shatter, they would break. And the thing about these, unlike glass and stone, if these broke, you couldn't use them again. There was no reusing them. They were very fragile. They basically were valuable. They really didn't have much meaning. And so here's what's interesting about these things, these earthen vessels. What's interesting about them is the value of these earthen vessels was not determined by the earthen vessels itself. Because remember, they had very little intrinsic value. The value of the vessel was determined by the content of the vessel. That's what determined the value. And so if it, if it contained something that was expensive, then that vessel would then be expensive. But if it contained something that was inexpensive, then that vessel would not be expensive. We do the same thing today. For those of you that have moved 
recently. Uh, I, I know when we moved, we had a bunch of boxes. You know how it is. You have boxes like all over the place and you're not sure what, what's in which. And so when we were moving, uh, there were some boxes Gabby would hand to me and would say, hey, you know, she really wouldn't say anything. She would just hand them to me, like go put them in the truck. It's fine. And I knew that what was in those boxes probably wasn't very important. But then there were some boxes that she handed to me and she looked at me with this glare and said, do not drop this. And I knew that if I dropped that, I was going to be killed, right? That's what was going to happen. The box itself had very little value. The box itself was not that important. It was the contents of the box that made the box's value. And so what Paul is saying here, obviously the the earthen vessels, that's an example of our body. And so what he's telling us is there's really nothing that impressive about who we are. There's really nothing that impressive about our physical body. It doesn't matter how attractive you are. It doesn't matter how how athletic you are. It doesn't matter if you have the most followers. It doesn't matter if you make the most money. There is very little to be impressed with. We're just earthen vessels. There really isn't that much intrinsic value. And this would have been earth-shattering to the Corinthian church. Because in, in Corinth, like, this is the most, one of the most important cities during this time. Like, in Corinth, you went there to become successful. You went there to make money. And so now Paul is saying, hey, there's very little worth in your actual life. Like, in who you are, in your body itself, and in, in, in the temporal things of this world, there is very little value. Why? Because our bodies, they all have the same end. Right? We live a life. We're born, we live, and, and then we die, and we go into the grave, and then our bodies rot and they decay, and they don't go, they don't go anywhere again until the resurrection, if, if we're believers. Our bodies, they all have the same end. And yet God, the creator of the heavens and the universe, when he decided that it was time to fulfill his promise in Genesis 3 that he would bring mankind back into an Eden-like relationship with him, when he decided that it was time to send the Messiah onto this earth to live a perfect life and then to die for the sins of the world, when he decided that it was time to, uh, to, to allow the world to experience the gospel, he could have chosen rocks to proclaim the gospel, he could have chosen plants to proclaim the gospel, he could have chosen animals, he could have written the gospel in the sky, but he didn't decide to do that, he decided to hide the treasure of the gospel in us. Which should be very, very encouraging because remember what I said a minute ago, the earthen vessels themselves had very little value. They were basically worthless, but the value of those earthen vessels was determined by the content. And so your value does not come by your past mistakes. Your value does not come from your past sins. Your value does not come by how popular you are. Your value doesn't come from how much money you make or how many followers you have. Your value comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where our value is. That's how how valuable you were to God to send His only Son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you. That's where your value is. Not in anything else. But look at what Paul says next. He gives the reason of why God chose to do it this way. Look what he says, verse number 7. He says that the excellency of the power may be of God and not 
being us. This goes along perfectly with what Pastor was talking about this morning. Because the reason that God chose to do it this way, the reason God chose to hide the power of the gospel in us was so that when our lives begin to change, when we don't talk like we used to talk, when we begin to dress modestly, when we go out with our friends, when, when we start to change, when our language changes, and when, when our lifestyles change, and when we stop going out and, and drinking with the boys, and, and we begin to, our lives begin to change, those people, they're not going to look at us and say, man, what happened? Like, like, like oh, you must have like, done something to yourself. No, they're going to look at you, and they're going to say, man, that's not her. That, that's, not, that's not him. Because, because before he was cussing like every other word, he would go out and drink with us, he would, he would do all of these things that, that, that we all did. Now there's something different. God should get credit for every positive change in your life. The Bible says this in Psalm 115. It says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for the mercy and for thy truth's sake. Think about it. Are you really giving God glory for the positive changes in your life? Like when you get victory over that sin or when you say no to that temptation that you used to not be able to say no to, do you pat yourself on the back? Or do you thank God for giving you the power to say no to it? Because friend, you can't do it on your own. Like you would still be falling into that sin over and over and over again if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit of God. Pastor was talking about this morning, the the fruits of the Spirit. You know what's interesting about the fruits of the Spirit? They're exactly that. They're fruits of the Holy Spirit. Which means that they can't be manufactured. They can't be because they're fruits of the Holy Spirit of God. And so when you don't give God credit for, for allowing you to, to manifest the fruits of the Spirit, you're taking credit for something that God did. So we see that God chooses unattractive packages. But then we also see that God, God's gift, God's gift of the gospel helps the package. Look at verse number 8. It says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. And so Paul begins to, to explain what it looks like when, when your life is focused on being a package of the gospel. That's all we are, right? We're earthen vessels. We're packages that contain the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul begins to explain what a life that is focused on the gospel looks like. And he says that that you'll be troubled on every side, but not distressed. He says that you'll be perplexed, but not in despair. He says you'll be persecuted, but not forsaken. He says you'll be cast down, but not destroyed. And here's the thing, if you're not a Christian in here tonight, or maybe you're a Christian and you're not living your life focused on the gospel of Jesus, if that's you tonight, you're going to experience the first half of that list. But you're not going to experience the but not part of that list. Because the truth is, whether you're living for Jesus or not living for Jesus, whether you put your faith in Him or you haven't put your faith in Him, whether you have the Holy Spirit or you don't have the Holy Spirit, life is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But what Paul says is if you're living for the gospel of Jesus, you have that but not part of that list. 
And it's interesting because in the Greek, every single one of those verbs are in the present tense. Which means that it's a constant happening in Paul's life at this time. This wasn't just something that was happening every now and then. No, Paul's saying, hey, I'm constantly perplexed. I'm constantly uh, 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 troubled on every side. I'm constantly persecuted. I'm constantly cast down. But I'm also constantly not distressed. I'm also constantly not in despair. I'm also constantly not forsaken and constantly not destroyed. See, the difference is is if you live your, your life as a container of the gospel, you will go through these things very different. You'll go through them very different than the world does because Jesus now gives your life meaning. Jesus has given you purpose and the things that happen on this earth don't really mean as much because now we're living for another world. We're living for something else now. And so I might be perplexed. There might be some things that, that are confusing in my life, and it's interesting, the word perplexed, it's the Greek word apareo, which means to be without a way or a path. And so I might be confused, I might be lost, but I'm not in despair. I'm not hopeless. Because my hope ultimately is not found in the things of this world, it's found in Jesus. I might be troubled on all sides. I might be, there might be sickness or illness in my life. There might be something happening. There might be trials on every side, and I'm troubled by them. But I'm not distressed. I'm not crushed under the pressure of those troubles. I might be persecuted. People might do terrible things to me just because I'm a believer in Jesus. But I'm not forsaken. Because I'll always have Jesus. In other words, it might hurt to stand, but we know we never have to stand alone. You see what the gospel does? It completely changes everything about our life because now we're going to go through, through these things anyway, but now we have a, the God of the universe going through them with us as long as we're packages of the gospel of Jesus. I might be struck now, badly injured, hurt physically or emotionally, but I will never be destroyed. And that's why for Christians, there's more to life than just the next paycheck. There's more to life than getting married. There's more to life than, than adding to your 401k. There's more to life than everything on this earth. And all those things are good. All those things are helpful. All those things, uh, th- th- if God presents them for us, then we should take the opportunity. But life doesn't stop there. Because now as believers in Jesus, we have more to live for because our bodies are just earthen vessels holding the treasure of the gospel. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust doth corrupt, where, ne- where, where thieves do not break through and steal. Paul's point here is that the gospel will change every bad scenario that you go through in life. Every single one of them as long as you live your life focused on being a container of the gospel, a package of God's gifts. So we know that God chooses unattractive gifts. We know that God's gifts help the package. But then thirdly, in verse number 10, we see that ultimately God wants the package to resemble the gift. Look at verse number 10. 
always bearing about in the body the dying of our Lord Jesus, or dying of the Lord Jesus. That in the life also, or that the life also of Jesus might be manifest, made manifest in our body. See, Paul says, always bearing about in, our, in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying there is, hey, I'm constantly under these things that I've listed before. I'm constantly troubled. I'm constantly, I'm constantly suffering. Paul says, hey, I'm constantly suffering just like my Lord Jesus suffered. And I don't know why it's confusing for us as Christians that we suffer. Jesus literally promised that in this world we were going to have trouble. He says this in John 15. He says, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world will love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the Lord hates you. Like that's why we experience so much trouble. Because our enemy, Satan, who the Bible calls the, the God of this world, hates us. He, hates, he wants to destroy our faith. He wants to destroy everything about our relationship with Jesus. He hates the fact that we're not spending eternity with Him in hell. And so He wants to make sure that we, we, we don't bring anyone else to heaven with us. And so he's, he's trying to stop us. He hates us. And so in this world, we're going to have tribulation. But then He says this. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. That's the purpose of every trial that we go through. Every death that we experience. Every prodigal that leaves. Every trial that we go through. Every sickness of a loved one. All of it. Every single one is for one reason. And that's so that the life of Jesus can be lived through us. That's the purpose. The reason we suffer like Jesus suffered is so that we can live like Jesus lived. If we keep the gospel of uh, the focus of our life, We'll be able to love like Jesus loved. We'll be able to talk like Jesus talked. We'll be able to act like Jesus acted as we're suffering like Jesus suffered. It's the purpose of every trial. It is so that Jesus can live his life through you. So where are you allowing that to? Are you allowing Jesus to live his life through you? When people look at you, do they see you? Or do they see Jesus? Do you love like a person should love? Or do you love like Jesus loved? Do you act like, like the world would act? Or do you act like Jesus would act? Because if the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is the focus of our life, then we are going to spend our life asking Jesus to live his life through us. So Paul shows us in this passage that in order to allow Jesus to live through us, the gospel has to be the focus of our life. 
the focus of our life has to be that we are just packages of the gospel of Jesus. That's all we are. We're earthen vessels. We're really, we're really valueless intrinsically. Just like the pots, we're made of dirt. But it's what's inside of us that gives us value. It's the gospel that gives us value. And so this week, when you wake up in the morning, don't find your value in the stuff that you do. Don't feel like, hey, in order to feel like I have value in life, I have to do a bunch of stuff. Because the moment that you wake up in the morning, the second, even while you're asleep, your value is not found in the stuff that you do. It's found in the treasure that you have in you. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as you do that, as you live your life with the gospel as the focus of your life, watch and see. Because if you do that, Jesus will start living his life through you. And he'll absolutely, radically change your life. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for sending Jesus 2,000 years ago to live the life that I could not live. I could never follow your laws like you did. I could never, I could never earn a relationship with you. But God, you sent Jesus to live that life, to die the death that I should have died, to be separated you like I should have been separated from you. God, thank you for rising him again. Thank you for thank you for the gospel. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just look at the gospel as just something that we do in order to start a relationship with Jesus, but it's something that we should focus on to continue our relationship with Jesus, to further our relationship with you. Help us this week not to find value in the stuff that we do the money we have, the relationships that we want. Our values in the gospel. It's found in Jesus. So Father, help us this week to allow Jesus to live his life, to live your life through us. And I ask these things in his name.